This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hey traders, this is Eddie Horn from Top Step Trader. This is Limit Up. This is where we talk with traders, market participants, and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading. Now today I'm joined here again with Mick Aronimo, our funded trader risk manager. Mick, really cool to see you here today. Hey, really good to be back. Thanks for having me on, Eddie. Mick, today we brought back Ira Harris, uh, someone who has more than a 40-year career in trading and definitely a fanatic about how he analyzes the market. Uh, uh, we wanted to bring Ira back to talk about the U.S. dollar. Now, one of the things is that this U.S. dollar may be setting up to be one of the most important trades for 2018. So that's why we've got Ira back, and we're going to be talking about that. But um, as far as trading here, coming out of the year, the volatility, a lot of talk about is yields now, uh, a lot of talk about the bonds. So we are seeing a lot of market reaction, and uh, all these markets sort of uh, corral the dollar and hit it hard. Definitely, yeah. Everything's correlated in one way, shape, or form. And, you know, we started off this year with a heck of a lot of volatility in the equity products, you know, yields, um, some sort of inverse correlation there. Um, but, you know, this is just the start of the year. We've got many more months to go. And, you know, we should be keeping an eye on the U.S. dollar and seeing how that can, you know, affect the other markets out there. I'll agree with you. Absolutely, Mick. Let's get started. Here's my conversation with 40-year trading veteran, Ira Harris. All right, I'd like to welcome Ira Harris here to another Limit Up podcast. And now, uh, Ira was with us prior and had a wonderful time and a very informative uh, podcast with Ira. If you haven't heard it, please check it out. But right now, uh, we've got Ira on the line, nearly 40 years trading commodities, interest rate futures, currencies, and other CME future contracts. Uh, Ira is a macro-themed trader, started on the trading floor of the CME, moved to electronic trading, and became a board member of the CME in 1997. I'd like to say uh, welcome back, Ira. How are you, sir? Um, well, Eddie, how are you doing? Pretty good. You know, Ira, one of the things that uh, has, has been the topic of the talk here a lot is uh, I want to ask you about the U.S. dollar. Now, it, it seems like the U.S. dollar maybe the trade uh, that is critical to get correct heading into the rest of 2018. Um, this is something that uh, is uh, putting the question mark here with a lot of traders and so forth. What's your thoughts about the dollar here and 2018? Well, the dollar has been the uh, biggest surprise for the last 12 months, but I think last time we were on, Eddie, uh, we talked about that I was bearish for several reasons, or at uh, most uh, neutral. But uh, last February, uh, people were, who read my blog knew that I had turned uh, almost when the euro was on its lows because of the uh, stance of Mark Fields and the National Association of Manufacturers when they met with Trump. And you could sense that they wanted a weaker dollar. The dollar was far too strong. Since that time, of course, the dollar has dropped uh, against the euro about uh, 14, 15 percent, I guess, a little bit about against the yen uh, and against other currencies. And it's perplexed people because by the classic fundamental analysis of currency markets, the uh, fiscal stimulus package coupled with a the only central bank, really, that's busy raising rates, that's the Fed, as well as what Peter Bookvar so nicely terms as quantitative easing, which is the beginning of the shrinking of the balance sheet, the dollar ought to be in rally mode. But it, it just cannot get going. So it's really proven to be a, uh, a difficult dilemma for most, for most global traders. Now, we've got a lot of uh, situations, global events that are happening. Are these part of what's holding the dollar down, or what's your thoughts on what is really holding this dollar down? Well, it may well be, and as I blogged about last night, so we're really currently on topic, that, you know, we go back to Davos, and when uh, of Davos this year, 
when Mnuchin, Secretary of Treasury Mnuchin and Secretary of Commerce Ross showed up in Davos and they were on record talking about that they're in favor of using the dollar as a uh, leveraging tool to get other, you know, to get better trade agreements that they didn't think it was a terrible thing if the dollar weakened. And the market has taken that and said, you know what, this is what these people really believe. Uh, and as long as we're in these trade negotiations and this team surrounding Trump believes that the dollar is a bargaining chip, I, I think people are nervous about holding dollars, even as U.S. interest rates are rising. All right. Now, now I read the start of the year. Uh, U.S. dollars weakness. Um, has anything come to light over this first quarter? Well, I mean, we're done with the first quarter. It really has not. Uh, I think the the weak weakness of the dollar has helped some of the large multinational corporations, along with, of course, the uh, the tax. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what to call it—the stimulus or reform. I don't think there's much reform in there, but it was certainly a, uh, a cut for uh, for corporate corporate America, uh, and and for uh, middle class America will get some benefits which Trump promised. So you you have to at least say that he held um, to that promise. But the dollar really it's it's more perplexing than it is telling us a story. But the trader inside of me, when I get per perplexed by things that I think ought to happen but don't, you know, that becomes a, a good trade in itself if you can, you know, break your biases and, and just go with the uh, with the action of the market. Okay. Now, uh, another thing, too, uh, what's been one of the discussions here is uh, about the overall climate. Um, I want to ask you, what are uh, what do you think are some of the factors driving the U.S. dollar, and are we in a pause before a downtrend? Uh, on the dollar? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it's just kind of sitting here. There's a lot of uh, geopolitical factors in play here. I mean, it's, things in Europe are not good. And whenever anybody tells you, oh, Europe is, I've, I've heard this song and dance now for quite a while. And um, when you look at the European equity markets, the European equity markets for the last six months, have, have um, uh, really uh, failed to perform nearly as well as the U.S. equity markets. Uh, we've seen recent slowing in the European economies, uh, you know, not meeting the uh, more robust numbers that uh, a lot of people had anticipated. But more importantly, the political factors in Europe are really uh, problematic. Italy is struggling. They just had an election, and they're going to struggle to put together a coalition government and depends who's in that coalition, could be problematic for uh, the credit markets in Europe and therefore somewhere the currency. Uh, Germany took seven, six months to, to for Merkel to put together a coalition. We just had the elections in Hungary in which a, uh, a person of the far right was elected for the third time, Viktor Orban. So things are not good there. We where things are looking up is uh, possibly some type of uh, real negotiation with the North Koreans. That will lessen uh, some of the global tensions. But now this week, you know, and last week, uh, uh, Trump and company have uh, raised the issue of um, bombing Syria in retaliation for the yet proven to be uh, – who who uh, used chemical attacks on the civilian population right. in Syria. And now we have the uh, U.S. and Russia at uh, a heightened state of uh, rhetoric. So there are, there's a lot of things in play here. And, of course, we have the Fed raising interest rates. Right. Yeah, usually there's uh, there's one uh... – <laughs> One story yeah. sitting, sitting in yeah. sitting in the front seat with you, but we've got we've got a lot of things that we're watching, and, and uh, I think we were talking on the uh, on our, our broadcast um, that you know the economic calendar isn't the uh, 
uh, as strong as it used to be. It's it's it, markets are evolving. Things are moving. Um, we're we're looking for tweets to move a market, or <laughs> you know, and it and it's it. It's comical in a sense where it's like, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, Ira, we even talked uh, on the broadcast today about um, the Gulf War when they were using CNN and the TV. And you'd have the newscaster say, yes, we've got about 17 tanks driving down the main street here with a bunch of, you know, 7,000 troops to follow. Looks like they're going to be making a move here to the south. And with the uh, with the enemy uh, watching CNN saying, oh, okay, I think it's time for us to move because they're they're coming. We're broadcasting it. Now we've got a president um, threatening uh, on Twitter. I mean, the situations back and forth. Media is such a big important part of the market moving to, uh, today uh, and uh, now. Yeah, it, it is. And for you know, people who analyze markets, uh, I, I think it's been part of the problem why some of the far better analysts over the years have really underperformed because they have not adjusted to the ability of uh, the speed of the media uh, coupled with the algorithmic um, headline reading uh, uh, artificial int uh, intelligence uh, mechanisms drive markets and they drive fundamental analysts crazy because it takes a much longer, it, it's much more news oriented, and therefore the fundamentals take a back seat. It takes them longer to play out, and once, and and that has affected a lot of people's ability to make money because you get stopped out of really what you think are well thought out, high quality positions because of the uh, the orientation of markets now to the headlines. Right. Now, to go back and talk about the dollar, um, you mentioned Germany. Uh, that reminds me about Deutsche Bank uh, maintaining their forecast for the euro uh, to the U.S. dollar. And they're looking for a substantial rise in 2018, saying that they're, um, they're structurally bullish. Uh, they're pairing, owning a large current account and balances and saying that it favors the euro. Uh, to strengthen and to see the dollar weaken. What's your thoughts on that? I, you know, I hadn't seen that from Deutsche Bank. You know, at all, all these banks put out these great big uh, recommendations. Uh, do Should we talk about how Goldman shifted? They were looking for a sub-par uh, uh, euro, meaning sub-a-dollar euro last year. Uh, all these banks were so bullish, 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 bullish to dollar. And uh, and it didn't pan out. So they issue these broad forecasts because they got to put out something. You know, they have clients, and the clients expect that. And then they, you know, they can go on television, and uh, and if they get it right, they'll beat their chest. And if they get it wrong, very few people will ever remember. Right. Uh, you know what? I, I just there are so many things in Europe that could go wrong right now. The momentum trade says, yeah, that's the right trade. And I'm looking at my board. I see the Euro-Swiss, which is a very important cross, up to three-year highs at 118. It's almost back to the level where the uh, Swiss uh, decided to break the peg at 1.20. We're, we're within 1% of it. The Euro-Sterling is sterling has outperformed everybody. So, so all the geniuses you talk about, should we go back and review what was going to be the huge negative effect on from the Brexit vote of June 23rd, 2016, on the British economy. The British economy has surprised everybody. Everybody. Well, I won't say everybody. There were certain people who said, oh, this is actually a good thing because the pound initially weakened so dramatically that it aided and embedded uh, a stronger recovery in the uh, in Britain. So right. these, anal these anal analysis are not worth crap. Uh, yeah, they make good headlines. The media has to put out headlines. So these they feed them because the du those ducks are always quacking, as we say. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, as you you hear it in my voice, uh, I I don't give them any uh, credibility. You know, some some are better reads than other, but um, nothing. Uh, and the euro is, you know, right now the euro is stronger against the yen, and we're breaking through some key levels here, euro yen. So, I mean, it is showing 
some strength here, which is which is fine. I, I respect it. I, I've I've been, you know, I have not been long dollars, meaning short the currencies, in a very very long time because I had a different type of view, and it was either neutral to bearish, depending upon. And I've written lately about how the peso is one of the most undervalued assets again in the world. Uh, uh, and the pesos performed pretty well over the last week, it's even with all the uh, tariff rhetoric. So that's usually a sign that something's going on. The only thing, again, that keeps me from really being uh, bullish Mexico is the elections in July, which at this point make me nervous because the latest polls have the... Uh, more far leftist candidate uh, in the lead, and he threatens to roll back some of the better reforms that have been put into place by Nieto. So we'll see, but from a purely uh, fundamental analysis, the Mexican peso is hugely undervalued. Okay. Now, Ira, from your blog, Notes from Underground, you got a great uh, great article here, Flattening Curves, All Action and No Talk. Uh, I was checking it out here, and I just want to sort of uh, uh, move off to Asia and, and uh, basically the beginning of your blog here talking about um, uh, the Chinese president saying that it appears the U.N. is going to test three-year lows and to the dollar. Chinese tensions are easing. Now, this is, uh, this is probably one of the, well, besides what we're hearing from Syria, uh, this was running front and center. This was um, the, the, the China factor uh, was affecting a lot of the markets. And uh, now that we've got Syria in the picture and, and the, you know, the possible uh, sending rockets over and such, um, you know, we've seen North Korea take a backseat now. It's like, okay, settle down. But what I wanted to ask you here is, is one of the questions, uh, crude right now. We're seeing crude running some highs we haven't seen in four years. Let me ask you about this. What do you think the effect of the U.N. oil contract uh, will have on the petrodollar dominance? Uh, that's, Eddie, you're doing your work. That's a great question. Um, well, you would think that two things would take place, that the dollar would weaken a little bit uh, because, you know, one of the supports for the dollar, even during its worst times, is always – that um, that because global commodities are priced in dollars, there's always some underlying demand for dollars. So, you know, even when the dollar is at its worst, there is still a natural uh, some natural buyers out there. This should relieve some of them, and of course, should put uh, some upward pressure on the yuan. You know, strengthening the yuan, and it should also. Um, Strength in gold. Now, gold has been acting pretty good, uh, especially with interest rates rising. That's usually a terrible period for gold, unless um, I, I have a measure, but we'll get back to that. Um, so I, I think you're seeing some of this into the market. Right now, it hasn't gotten a lot of traction yet, but the fact that you bring it up, I will remind, it is certainly worth keeping an eye on and watching. There is a uh, very. This is very, very important because the Chinese are trying to uh, remove the uh, dollar uh, uh, slowly but surely as the centerpiece of the global financial system. So they're just they're 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 you know they're, they're tweaking things here. Right. They're trying to measure this out and. Uh, uh, trying to see how this all will work. So step by step. Now, you're saying step by step. You think that they're being very strategic and waiting for uh, certain times that, like, for example, we just saw a dollar uh, headline reads, uh, dollar limps from a three-year low after worst week in nine months. You think they're sort of waiting for when they do see an open uh, chink of armor uh, that they can uh, they can attack the dollar on uh, on that aspect? Uh, listen, the Chinese, you know, as, as I've written, for, I've been writing a blog for almost 10 years, and... Um, uh, I've been writing for it for many years. I don't write it just as a mere opinion. 
these are things that I've studied even when I was in university, you know, working on my graduate degrees. So I have some long-term historical knowledge of it. The Chinese, they don't operate on a quarter-to-quarter view, a year-to-year view. They have a much broader uh, uh, sense of how the world works. And I keep trying to stress this to people. See, the problem is that our media cycle is, you know, 24 hours. And most three weeks, the Russians taught us a very important lesson because they realized you can do anything in the world. And the the attention span of the West is about three weeks at the most. Then people get tired of the story and they want they want to go on to the Kardashians. So, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's unbelievable. And I, I always use this story. Some people say it never took place. Others say it's absolutely true that in 1972, when Henry Kissinger, I'm sorry, in 71, when Henry Kissinger was was in China getting uh, ready for Nixon's surprise visit to China, the announcement, and he was there doing the groundwork, he had a meeting with then uh, 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 Vice Premier or uh, Foreign uh, uh, Minister uh, um, yeah. Joe and Lai, and the two of them were having a conversation. And Kissinger, by his own admission, was in awe of Joe and Lai because here was a world, a genuine revolutionary who he was meeting with and a big thinker. And, and, and Kissinger tried to make small talk with him, and he asked him a question. He said, uh, "You know, Mr. Joe," he said, uh, "What do you think?" of the outcomes of the French Revolution, trying to get a historical perspective in which uh, Joe and Lai said it's too early to tell. (laughs) Okay? But it gives you a sense of of their perspective. It's a problem with Americans. We have no perspective. Right. We have no perspective. We we think that everything happens just happens, and uh, whatever, whether there's an underlying groundwork to it, we just don't pay attention to it. But the Chinese are all about perspective. And, I'll, t- and I'll, I'll give your listeners one more thing, and this is what I try to teach my readers of the blog. January 1st, 1994, I'm not making this up, I'm looking at my screen right now. That's the day NAFTA commenced. January 1st, 1994, NAFTA came into, I mean, it had been passed, it had been approved, but it, its initial uh, inception for for putting it into action was January first, nineteen ninety four. January first, nineteen ninety four, the Chinese devalued the Chinese yuan, right, from, from five point eight to the dollar to eight point seven. If you think that's happenstance, well, turn off this podcast or. Uh, whatever you're listening to, because then you, you live in a vacuum that uh, in which you don't really want to know anything. The Chinese were very aware of what NAFTA was about. A cheap Mexican labor force coupled with Canada's very rich uh, natural resource base coupled with American financing and ingenuity and you would have a very powerful mechanism. The Chinese understood that it was directed against them because the world knew that there's going to be all these Chinese workers entering the global labor force. The Fed doesn't know how to measure a global labor force, which is why the Phillips curve is so antiquated. It's a domestic-based curve. It's a domestic-based model. And the Chinese knew well. And what happened there really sets the world on fire. Because by December of 1994, early 95, we get the Mexican situation. Because a lot of money that was flowing into Mexico to take advantage of NAFTA said, well, this isn't that good of an idea. And the flows start to shift to Asia. Also, what happens is that the, the Asian tigers who were on fire, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, uh a few more, uh, the Philippines. By 1997, July 2nd, 1997, um, 
the Thai bot the values because China stole all their thunder. The Chinese cheap wages coupled with a depreciated currency that enabled and gave a great advantage on the world scene to Chinese exporters. And the Chinese were following the Japanese model of a massive amount of exports to build up their economy. Not happenstance. Got news for you. Right. Now, well, China being the second largest economy, but uh, the world's largest banking sector assets, um, China's the world's largest manufacturing economy and exporter of goods. We all know this. And and uh, question I got for you, Ira, is uh, do you think the amount of gold that China has purchased over the years, and it, it's no secret, uh, you think it's another step to prepare that the yuan to supplant the dollar as the reserve currency, or, or do you think this is uh, a role that they desire? I do, but they're trying to figure it out. Because when you're the world's reserve currency, and I listen to these people pontificate about this all the time, people can say, well, Ira, you're pontificating. Yes, but some some pontificating is better than others because it's based on uh, a deeper sense of knowledge. And I'm not, and I say that with all humility, but I, I spend... Eddie, as you and I have discussed, this is a 14-hour job, a day job. I'm forever reading. You know, I always right. laugh when I hear Warren Buffett and Alan Greenspan talk about how you must read. Well, I, I'm in, you know, as you said, when you saw the picture of where I'm at, that it's a full library. And I promise you that most of those books have been read uh, cover to cover, and a lot of them are about politics and economics around the globe. And... These things, the Chinese, they have a sense of what this is about, but they're trying to figure out because, you know, there's two ways to look at your currency's reserve role status. The, the French in the 1960s, uh, Giscard d'Estaing called it an exorbitant privilege. Recently, if you read the work of Michael Pettis, who's a professor who teaches in China, he calls the dollar's reserve status an exorbitant burden. So, you know, there's two views to it, and I think the Chinese are trying to figure this out. Is having the world's reserve currency a burden or a privilege? And they're walking gingerly to try to figure this out, but they do have a plan. They do have a plan. And I think they're smart enough to understand for their own people is the currency should be a hardened currency. It must be backed by something, which I'm going to go back to the, the great question you asked about the yuan oil gold, because it's a, it's a three-part trade there. So there's a hard asset to it. You know, uh, John Maynard Keynes famously uh, supported uh, – a global currency called a bank core, which was built upon a basket of global commodities. The United States was opposed to that, by the way. That's why we get Bretton Woods, because when you rise to the top of the ladder, as we did uh, through World War II, uh, then you say, well, maybe I'm going to have this exorbitant privilege in my currency, and I'm willing to take this on because I'm the only economy that's really left standing in the world so I have the, the ability to do this. And the Chinese are busy trying to figure this out. I, I truly believe that. And, you know, we were talking about, if you go and look at my blog today, I'm from Notes from Underground. The greatest part about writing that blog is I get to have this great interchange and dialectic with my readers. And I've gotten rid of most of the whack jobs. So it's a very serious discussion that takes place. And we're having a discussion because there are those who think that the gold market's been heavily manipulated by different central banks. And that's why we haven't seen the uh, uh, to see these uh, prices rise, you know, that they otherwise they'd be rising. But it's like here we saw it yesterday. Gold got to 1360 right. for, and failed. So this has been a cap on the market. A lot of people have written about this. Is it so? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with it, but it's it's an interesting discussion. But my point is, and I know you'll appreciate this, Eddie, because you're a longtime trader and understand the business. 
is if this is true, I make the point of this. The metals market it will not be in takeoff mode until silver leads. That's just something I know from trading all these years. I've been trading, it'll be 41 years in May. And I, I do a lot of studying. And every bull market, even the last one we had when gold ran up to $1,900, the silver, silver led the way. But interestingly, interestingly, silver may, never made a new all-time high from when the hunts were busy back in 1980. Yeah, cornering that, right. Right? Yep. So in today's world where a guy like Jeff Gunlock, who talked, he put out a piece the other day, very bullish gold, or he says it's going to come out of here one way or another because of the formation, which I love these formations. Anybody who's a longtime trader, when you see these um, uh, these formations that just keep churning, 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 when they come out, there's going to be a big move one way or another. It could be down, it could be up. Gunlatch thinks it goes up. Maybe he's right. And I happen to think that that's what's going to happen here. But it's what technicians call that broadening formation. Well, why doesn't somebody? I, I guarantee you, if I had a fund, and I'll probably, I know I'll probably get arrested when I say this, <laughs> but if I had a fund of Gunlatch proportions, I know he's got all kinds of caveats about what he can. But if I had the access to five billion dollars, and I could put it to work in a speculative fashion. I'd be buying silver on top of silver on top of silver on top of silver until I find out how how high I could take it. Right. Now, let, let me ask you, Ira, uh, silver, what's the method behind this theory? Why do you want silver to lead? I mean, uh, it, it's it, it would be something very tough to convince the majority that, hey, watch silver. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people, that, the gold bugs, you know, um, uh, just loving gold so much. What's your theory behind watching silver lead? Because the world is a buy. If you go to a hard currency, the world has been a buy a bimetallist uh, world, silver and gold. We had silver dollars, right? Right. In 1964, the U.S. Mint stopped printing or stopped minting 100% uh, silver coins. And, and Believe me, I'm 60, I'll be 65 years old in two months, Eddie. So I know I was one of them because I had a job. I was 11 years old. I was working at a delicatessen waiting the counter on Saturday and Sunday. And my mother would go with me through my tips. I, I could make $100 in tips on a, on a weekend. I mean, I'm, I'm 11 years old. And I'd come home with pockets full of coins and my mother would go through the coins because she was a coin collector, and we would be pulling out all the silver coins. This was like 1965. So uh, I learned a lot because silver value was $1.35. So even though the coins had wear and tear to them, you could, you could basically pull an arbitrage. And a lot of people made a lot of money in the late 60s taking the silver coins out of circulation. So we've been bimetallists. One of the most famous speeches in American history is Williams Jennings Bryan's Cross of Gold speech because the farmers always were bimetallists because that was more inflationary because if there wasn't enough gold, you would get uh, deflation. But with silver coupled in, uh -huh. you, you had a bimetallism. You know who the greatest bimetallists are in the last 200 years? The Chinese. That's how the that's how the British destroyed the Chinese financial system was by breaking the price of silver during the uh, during the Box Rebellion and the Opium Wars. This and the Chinese don't forget. I mean, there are Chinese who write about it, so they don't forget the stuff. So I keep my eye on silver, and silver has a dual purpose. It's much more of an industrial metal than gold is. So. The fact that silver is weakened, you know, I'm looking at the cross. We're at some some recent all-time, not all-time highs, but certainly uh, critical levels. I can, I'll give it to you right now. We're trading 81. There's Right now it's 81.16 ounces of, sil of silver to an ounce of gold. The all-time high on this was made 
in uh, February of 1991, up at 91. But I can tell you for historical purposes, when the hunts were busy squeezing the market, we were down at 19 ounces of silver to an ounce of gold, okay? So there's your parameters, 98 to 19. Well, well said. Uh, just visualizing that as you are talking, and I, I appreciate you uh, sharing that uh, that insight with us too. And I know that uh, uh, both silver and gold. I know the ratio um, is pretty funky right now, pretty much out of whack. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that definitely. Well, it, especially if you you know the the thing is it's and it's bothered me, and I've written about it for three or four years already, is how silver has underperformed gold even as copper took off because. You know, they're both have industrial usages. So if the stock market being as strong as it is, if the global growth story is, it, it plagues me in my own mind to think why silver is so cheap. Now, I've respected it, and I've actually, you know, I've been long gold and short silver as many times as I've been short silver, you know, as just as trades, because that's just what the trade's about. But... From a long historical perspective, this is a very uh, interesting phenomenon. Now, some will tell you, well, we don't use silver for photography anymore. No, but in photovoltaic cells and other types of solar panels, silver is used. Right. So there is industrial uses for silver, but I respect markets first and foremost. And when I say we respect markets, I respect market pricing to tell me, hey, you know what? You're wrong. Just pay attention. Something else is going on. Okay. But I will know the turn. And more importantly, I can tell you that this has been a very, very good indicator is the 200-day uh, moving average on this cross, which uh, comes in, I believe, at uh, comes in at 77.44. So, you know, I got time. And I'm going to sit yep. here. And, and be very, you know, I, I preach, preach being patient, Patience, be patient. Right, definitely. You know, one of the other things that sort of came into the market here, one of the news articles I read uh, early this morning, you know, we're talking about this, uh, these metal sell-offs, and we're talking about uh, the price of metal. Um, and uh, some of the traders are blaming fears of a weak demand because of China. And what metal came up was zinc. Uh, zinc. Uh, they're talking about a four-month low here. Uh, seasonal pickup in China's construction usually uh, picks up here April, May, but they're really seeing a slow start. So um, it, it's like a domino effect. I know I watch a lot of the metals. I've got the gold, copper, silver, um, platinum. I'm watching a lot of that, seeing how that's reacting. But uh, just recently here, they're putting zinc in the news, and I'm uh, a little, uh, little curious about uh, where this is going to go. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know, but, you know, copper is today struggling. You know, it's had a nice run this week, but today it's down, as I look, five and a half cents right now. So it's right. testing the support of the 200-day moving day average. But the copper is weak on a day when the equity markets are up. And a lot of these algorithms are now, you know, uh, primed when the equity market's up. Copper, uh, it's been, they've created their own correlation here. Because, well, stocks are up, it must be because uh, uh, economic activity is up, therefore copper is good. Oh, okay. You know what? If that, and it's been working. So I certainly don't argue. It's a good indicator for me every day. Today it's out of sync, So, but I'm paying attention. Uh, and I, the, the zinc I just don't follow enough. It may be tied to the aluminum. You know, people are getting a little bit nervous, and there's really a, a, a interesting thing coming from the new uh, – uh, governor of the uh, People's Bank of China, that uh, they're going to tighten up credit a little bit because uh, now uh, Joe is gone, uh, who ran uh, the People's Bank of China for 15 years, so we have a new governor. But we'll see. I, I think people are a little bit nervous that we may see a uh, the Chinese economy won't grow as much. So, okay. But we'll see. It's too early for me. 
All right, Ira, one last question here I wanted to ask you. And uh, just having the broadcast here at Top Step Trader, we do a lot of uh, watching the wire and the Dow and Reuters. And and uh, really, you know, it, we get excited when we hear talk about the Fed and the FOMCs and stuff. Let me ask you, I know in your last blog you mentioned Bobby Caps. That's my nickname for uh, Dallas President uh, Robert Kaplan, Bobby Caps. Let me ask you. Do you have a favorite Fed? Somebody that you listen to, somebody that you can uh, get a grasp of and understand and agree with uh, with this person? Oh, uh, do I have a favorite? Uh, somebody no. that somebody that you can you listen, you can uh, play off of. You know, he's you know what? As I wrote about Kaplan, I thought his. He was the only one who was out there talking about the yield curves, and I'm a big yield curve person because right. I've studied them for I've studied them, and I have the scars on my back from <laughs> to understand what they were trying to tell me for many many years. So I, you know, they've been a very effective tool for me in all the years I've been doing this, and I learned about them. So we have a flattening going on as I'm sitting here. We're we you know I watched the 5:30 I call that the speculative uh, uh, curve and right. the 2:10 is much more for the investors for the insurance companies uh, for that crowd so they've been flattening and we're down to you know 10 11 12 year lows on this and those are usually indicative that the Fed is either too tight or people are sensing a slowing a slowing economy whether it's globally. And that's where it'll show up. So um, he talked about it. And that's why, you know, I titled the blog, uh, All Action, No Talk. Because, you know, the other day, last Friday, Jerome Powell was at the uh, Economic Club of Chicago. And I know people who wrote down quite, because there wasn't a free flow of questions, you know, where you stand up at a mic and say your name. You had to write it down, and the moderator screened it, and she never asked a question about the yield curves because that's, to me, the most imp important question to ask Jerome Powell. And I'm starting to like Jerome Powell more and more because he doesn't react to the market knee-jerk reactions. It's right. so ref refreshing for a, a Fed chair to not talk about the stock markets. And, you know, uh, uh, and that's a good thing. But they, somebody should have, should have, and ought to. Somebody in the media ought to be asking Jerome Powell: Is he concerned about the flattening yield curves? Now, yesterday the FOMC minutes came out, and there was literally not even a complete sentence in talking about the flattening curve. But we flattened more since then. Right. So this is now a warning. And uh, what, what do you call them, Bobby Caps? Bobby Caps, yeah, it's my Chicago, so Bob, it's my Chicago mob name for him, but yeah, yeah, Bobby Caps, yeah. So Bobby Caps was was talking about yesterday, saying, "Well, you know, this landing curve may mean what did he say? You you probably have in front of you. He said that that may keep him from being on just a straight trajectory of raising rates. Now he's not a voting member anyway, so that's right. what the, those who were, you know. But it, but the fact that he's thinking about it means that it ought to get into the discussion somewhere because he's at the table. He may not be voting, but he's certainly there discussing. Exactly. So, so if that's the case, see, I'm only looking for the Fed because of this flattening yield curve to raise one more time this year. That's right. I'll put it out there. <laughs> and I think that'll steepen the curve because I have a, a bet for a bottle of, the really good Pappy Van Winkle, that the 10-year <laughs> goes to 3.4 this year. Mark it down, ladies and gentlemen. Get yourself a bottle also. I'm a, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm riding your bus. Um, I, I just from knowing you from for, for years and loving the blogs. It's, you you got to check these out. We're going to get to the website. We'll share the website here. But, Ira, I, I don't want to keep any longer, but I just want to thank you very much for coming on and and letting me just sort of throw questions at you and um, having some great answers and some great insight and some wonderful reasoning why 
Yeah, a lot of people got answers, but they don't have the reasons for them. And I really appreciate the way you come on. And you have those. I don't have to ask for them. They're always included in the package. And, and uh, speaking of a fantastic package, Ira Harris, um, check out the website. Ira, I'll let you mention it. We want to get a hold of you. Ira, how do we get a hold of you? Go to Ira Harris, Y-R-A-H-A-R-R-I-S dot com. And Notes from Underground will, will come up. And you can subscribe to it. It's free. I I don't mine your data. WordPress, it's on WordPress, so they may be mining your data because uh, I've never monetized this. I do it because it helps me focus my mind, and it gets the feedback. And I there's probably, I think, about 3,900 readers now. And I get a lot of good feedback, both comments on the blog itself and private uh, uh, sendings. Um, so... Uh, it generates real discussion, and it's needed. This is this business is built on uh, uh, information, exactly. and you know what? You can hide behind your computer and trade. I'm trading on my computer right now as we're talking, but it's the flow of information back and forth. It's the dial. It's the discourse that generates really good trades, and there's not enough of it out there because the algos have taken over for a, for a while. And they've pushed a lot of this to the back. But that's okay, because there's one thing that I know for certain. You can't hide from the fundamentals forever. There you go. There's a T-shirt for you. We need to make some T-shirts out of that. Quote, yeah. Ira Harris. Uh, right. Ira, <clears throat> Ira, thanks a lot. Once again here, uh, the website, it's it's Ira, Y-R-A-G-Harris.com, right? Yeah, I don't know. If it, but if you go to Ira Harris. Without the G dot com, okay. it'll notes from underground will pop up. Right, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I've got it yeah. um, uh, one of my saves here, so I, I tend to look at it. Also, you can uh, you sub, you can subscribe. Yeah, there's an option there to subscribe to Ira's blog. Uh, highly recommended. Good stuff. But once again, Ira, thanks for joining us here, and uh, I'm looking down the road to get you back again because it's such a fun conversation and. Uh, uh, Great stuff coming from you. Thanks, Eddie. Be well. Best everybody and everybody. Be patient in these markets. You will get great opportunities. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Okay. All right, so Mick. Always great hearing from Ira. And uh, you know, I tell you, Certainly. one thing I really like about Ira is when he explains something, uh, he's got reasons to back it up. It's not just he doesn't. Just throw it on the table and uh, you know, it let you go over it. There's a lot of body behind what he talks about. For someone who's immersed himself so deep in uh, trading possibilities and world financial events, now, how do you translate that to the day trading time frame? Well, that is a great question, and I think there's a couple ways to look at it. Um, Ira is definitely very methodical in his analysis. You hear him talk about what the Fed's doing, what the, the overall market is doing, you know, macroeconomic events, and the higher time frame. And taking all that information and putting it into, you know, a strategy for day trading is going to be really difficult. Um, I think as day traders, we do need to definitely have an idea of what's going on in the world, you know, macroeconomic events. We need to know what the, the market on a higher time frame is doing, you know, kind of take the top-down approach. Right. What What is our trend? What does the chart look like? What's the market been doing over the last year? You know, pull up a, a weekly chart or a daily chart and kind of break it down from there because one thing I've learned in the last 15 years in the industry is the higher time frames in charge and you know you could you could be in an uptrending market you know a bull market for 12 months but still find opportunities to make money on the short side but I think it's always good to know the markets that you are trading or the market that you're trading know what it's doing know where it's coming from is the trend up down or sideways and then break it down from there um, Speaking of what the Fed's doing and other macroeconomic events, um, those are kind of fundamentals that play into the markets. And day traders, it's really good to be aware of the fundamentals, but you need to know that fundamentals don't play out in the short time frame. Um, fundamental factors of the marketplace and the commodity products we're trading, they take you know days, weeks, months to play out. Um, you're not going to see 
instant gratification. So if I have a fundamentally long bias in soybeans, um, that might not play out, you know, while I'm looking at my five-minute chart, 15-minute chart. Um, that's something that you have to be conscious of that it could take a long time to play out. So maybe as a day trader, you have this long bias fundamentally in one of these markets. Maybe you want to just go into the day session every day saying, okay, I have this long bias, but doesn't mean that the market couldn't sell off for a few days here. And so you always want to be conscious of that. You know, I agree with you there. You got to get an idea where the market has been. Uh, where the market is and where the possibilities of the market are going. Now, uh, one thing with with Ira is uh, he makes like a uh, a trading smoothie. He he <laughs> takes a little of this and some information from here and what was said here and what this market's reacting to, and he sort of puts it in a blender and puts it together, and then he gets himself a good answer. And I think that's you know the way the market's evolving. You really have to do your homework. It's not just to buy and sell anymore. It's not just, hey, uh, what are they doing? Um, you know, where's the market moving? Who's buying? Who's selling? There's just a lot now to keep you in the game. There are there are so many bits of information that um, are thrown at us every day. I mean, we're seeing more and more with technology every single day. You know, you've got most traders now. They've got the news on, so they're following what's going on during the day. Twitter, um, all this kind of stuff, the new other news feeds. So you have so much charts, indicators. You have so much information getting thrown at you. What do you call it? The uh, the smoothie. The trading smoothie. The trading smoothie. So yeah. you're going to be absorbing bits of information. Um, some that you might you know feel more strongly about than others, but you've got to take in all the information, weed out some of the stuff that you might not agree with or might not feel is too important, and you know come up with your own bias um that's the hard part right all right well mick thanks so much for joining me here today on the broadcast and uh well hopefully uh, get you back here again just send the invite my way i'll be here all right great thanks for having me on eddie all right, thanks for coming on mick and uh traders thanks for spending time with us if you like this interview Check out our other conversations on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Also, it would really help us if you would leave a rating or review. You can always provide us with feedback at LimitUp at TopStepTrader.com. Uh, Mick, take care. Fun being on today, Eddie. Thanks for having me. All right. Talk to everybody next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.